Welcome to the Death Panel. If you'd like to support the show, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. We do two episodes a week. This is the free one. So if you want to hear the other one, which shows up in your feed every Tuesday as a shorter teaser, become a patron for access to that. This week's premium episode is actually really great, too. Friend yeah. of the show and epidemiologist Abby Cardis was back to talk about the latest updates with the draconian Texas abortion bill, SB8. Yeah, we had a kind of extended teaser for that, too, which was great. Um, and if you didn't, so one thing that you might not have gotten from that, too, is uh, that was just sort of like the first 15 minutes of the episode. But we would go into some really ridiculous clips from mm -hmm. the uh, oral arguments heard at the Supreme Court. It's uh, yeah, it's it's I highly recommend it. Yeah, it's a great one. So if you'd like to listen, become a patron and um, support our work. So as I'm, I'm sure the title of this episode will betray today, we are talking about one of the new dominant narratives of COVID, which is the quote, we need some off ramps conversation. Yeah. It's been a few weeks now that this this uh, conversation has been bubbling up, starting with some gentle murmurs, maybe around early September, and then fueled by the seeming dip in case counts a few weeks ago, this call for off ramps has gained a lot of momentum recently. I'm just like curious, like, are I at what point where was it clear that we were still on the highway to, to follow this <laughs> metaphor along its natural progression? I, I my assumption is that about a year ago, we're like, um... You know, ooh, we're on the highway, but there's there's like an Arby's over there. So let, let's get off onto like the frontage road. My sense is that we've been on the frontage hey, road hey, for a while. People just love a car metaphor for COVID. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of like we've been in that meme the whole time, where like the car is looking at the off ramp and um, like trying to make the decision last minute, and we've just been in that position of sort of moving forward straight ahead between the off ramp and the the highway the whole time. The like burning rubber on the way into like oh, yeah. swerving into the off ramp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but yeah. I mean, From like it, day two. It's true. And I think this is important. I think it's going to be an important conversation because, yes, indeed, today I think we will. And I, I think it is worth interrogating the, I think I would argue, largely media construction of the sort of we need to talk about off ramps conversation because it's sort of like. Lest you, you know, get confused about this, which is, I think, part of the, the slippage that has happened very quickly here, as I mm -hmm. think we'll demonstrate. This is not talking about what a quote unquote off ramp to the pandemic itself is right. This is not actually right. talking about how do we end the pandemic. Instead, the conversation that is happening, the when people have been saying we need to talk about off ramps, it has been as we talked about a couple of uh, public episodes ago, actually, when we talked about J.G. Allen's um, op ed in The Washington Post, which I think kicked off some of this fervor. Um, it started as this sort of we need to talk about off ramps to mask mandates in public schools in the few places that still actually have them. And it has turned into, well, now that, you know, uh, for the same reason, now that we're going to have approval for vac for the vaccine for kids age 5 to 11, now is the time to say, not only is it the case that uh, we should, you know, drop mask mandates in schools because kids are going to be vaccinated, but also we should just say, well, like, back to normal. Right. Yeah. We discussed this at the end of October in our episode, A Nightmare on Medicare Advantage, um, as already is mentioning. And since then, what was sort of happening is we were seeing cases starting to seemingly dip, right? Deaths were steadily continuing on at pace. And before we sort of like move forward with this, I just like want to talk about the perspective of like where we're materially at for just a yeah, brief second. It's a good idea. Which is that like, 
So back at the end of October, cases were sort of seemingly dipping. Deaths were steadily continuing on at pace at over a thousand deaths a day. We're still now at the point where deaths are steady and cases are rising again. But in these sort of three weeks, right, the popularity of the we need to talk about off ramps to the entire pandemic conversation, which has really more been this kind of one-note discussion that's like, it starts with, we need to contemplate a return to normality. Well, they're like, has no one thought about how this ends? Right, When right. do we stop? Well, and, when and do we drop the masks? It ends with like, and this ends when we decide it's over, right? <laughs> like, Yes, and well, that's actually what, um, that's now, I, I think that was something that we, we observed as a matter of empirics that like, yes, that ends up being what happens. Yes, of course we end it. This ends when we decide it's over sociologically, but now it's being articulated by like public health people as if it is a prescription. Like it ends when we, it should end when we decide uh, it's over, et cetera. And I think the thing that like is fascinating to me about this is that is very much the narrative in there's like a level of consciousness which I would say like floats above any sort of like local particularity. And it's it's the kind of consciousness of spreadsheets, uh, the consciousness of like completely disembodied statistics. You go then and look at what's actually happening, say, in, I don't know, Michigan, like their hospitalization levels are essentially where they were last year. Like nothing like nothing materially has changed in terms of how bad the hospitalization situation there is. And the answer to this, uh, or the, you know, I think when presented with this fact, um, they're like, well, uh, well, the first thing that they say is like, well, case, case numbers don't, aren't really like useful anymore. This is like David Leonhardt's line. Um, case numbers aren't useful anymore. Like, by the way, th- thanks David Leonhardt for being, uh, you know, uh, our, our new public health, uh, expert. I really appreciate having, uh, all your vast, your sort of like best Western level knowledge. Materially speaking, um, you know, as the off ramp conversation popularity has increased, you know, the metrics that were originally used to justify it, which were people were starting this conversation by being, look, it, it looks like we're starting to see cases go down. When we were at that level, we pointed out, you know, this uh, framework of, well, cases are going down was based on the idea that we had dropped to 70,000 cases a day and um, deaths were continuing it's a pace. quite high. Yeah. Which is um, quite high. It is higher than peak one and peak two of the first two waves. Um, it is around the same amount of transmission as we saw in early November 2020. Um, so the 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 scale of what lower cases means was actually shifted in the course of the sort of establishing of this conversation, because all of a sudden, for the first time in the pandemic, what had previously been a record high or an indicator that we were cresting towards a new wave, which has been sort of hitting this threshold of crossing from like 30 to 40,000 cases into the 70,000 case range, where what we've seen is things have multiplied from there. And we're we're at a position now where, you know, deaths are steady. And when I say steady, I mean steady. This is at the time of the recording, this is the 84th day in a row that New York Times has reported over 1000 deaths a day in the United States. It's not like we're anywhere near 
out of the pandemic. And if you look at where cases are now compared to the beginning of the school year last year, what you see is this sort of dip that happens and then an explosion after Halloween. And we are seeing cases go up now. So there's no way, shape or form that you could look at where case numbers are in the United States right now and say the pandemic is over. Right. Well, which is why I'm saying really specifically, this is something I mean, you know, we will like, uh, yes, we can talk like we can talk about this. Uh, the you know, we need off ramps conversation as sort of like a sociological construction. But primarily we're going to be looking at it through like media criticism of like people trying to assert these things, because if you like David Leonhardt, for example, who does the morning newsletter at The New York Times, who's been really fucking terrible on this. You know, if you read his if you read his like morning newsletter column, if you read any of these things that are talking about like, oh, we need off ramps to masking in public schools or we need off ramps to like every mitigation measure under the sun, you could be reasonably like even within the the New York Times uh, published versions of those arguments, you could be reasonably so long as you didn't like click over to the New York Times own covid tracker, you could like very reasonably think that the you know that pandemic the pandemic is either over or almost over that deaths are like not very high meanwhile i think maybe to render the conversation slightly less abstract than like the oh you know we're at we're at like where peak one and peak two was etc in terms of cases so the this thousand deaths a day thing right if you look at the like it's today's the 84th day as be mentioned of deaths in the united states being over 1000 uh, like COVID deaths being over 1000 a day, right? Uh, today is the 85th day in a row. If you look at that, that is roughly, you know, August 20th to now we had a dip briefly under a thousand deaths a day consistently from March 21st, 2020 until August 19th, roughly. And before that we were at a thousand deaths a day or higher between November 6th of 2020 and March 21st, 2021. Now, my question, maybe like pop quiz for you guys, if you can remember, or think about it, like how many deaths a day were we at literally one year ago today? Off the top of my head, I feel like we were um, at like 12, 1300. I would put it, yeah, in par- parity with what we're, we're at yeah. now by, yeah, a factor of 10 It or is almost exactly <laughs> where we were. So this time last year so yesterday for example uh november 11th 2021 the number of covid deaths according to the new york times tracker was 1158 november 12th 2020 one year ago today 1103 so literally like (laughs) almost exactly the same number and you you know and so you wonder how people can look at this and think like oh it's almost over that like oh the delta wave is over yeah No, and if you look at historically, also regionally, what's going on in the United States and what has been going on this entire time is we're not seeing um, a break in cases. We've never had like a real break in cases. When I think you look at the full arc of the pandemic, the like all of the data plotted out in one line, when you look at cases, it starts to look like, oh, there's a moment where there wasn't really that much COVID um, at one point of time. And then here's a moment where there's a lot of COVID. But it's really important to remember that what's actually been going on is it's just moving regionally 
over and over. We've seen right. this same cycle, this process of the outbreak moving regions. First, you know, it'll start maybe down in the south and move to the southwest, then to the northern areas. And and really all that's happening is like it's moving around. We've not had a break or a moment actually of having COVID under control in this com- country because we've never prioritized trying to keep the infection rate low. Because everybody keeps talking about it as, oh, it's this meaningless statistic because it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter anymore. But ultimately, like well, it's- th- that number, the case number is reflective of community spread. And that matters a fucking lot. It's, well, it's a, a meaningless statistic unless it uh, until which it invariably does turn into a meaningful statistic when those cases uh, become hospitalization, severe illness and death. I mean, like that's that's the thing that's like. The the line that like cases are meaningless is so profoundly dumb because they are a like even if even if you like accept the idea that uh, there are ways for people to be, you know, like we've improved our ability to treat people or like, the you know, whatever, um, you know, that like the, the risk of severity is like lower, which it, by the way, isn't because guess what? Like hospitalizations and deaths are sort of close to where they were uh, a year ago. But like even if that were true. The thing that makes no sense about it is, you know, they're a leading indicator of something. And, you know, that's the I mean, that that's the thing that's like the, the person I definitely don't want to be opining on this is a person who's mainly been affected by covid sociologically. And I think that that's been sort of the problem from really the beginning is like that those People have ended up being like opinion makers and tastemakers around this. Right. And, and ultimately, like what what we're seeing is that as cases start to go down, people start to return to normal activity and the virus continues to spread. And that's the fact of the matter. Whether we're discussing off ramps or not, that is the reality of what we're seeing right now. with. Well, COVID. But the point I, my point is that like because of the way that what is actually happening has been basically rendered into sort of almost like a matter of like philosophy or something. Right. right? It's become so dis- yes. it's become like so disaggregated from actual like material reality. Like we're not seeing the drum. That's what I'm saying about like the David Leonhardt thing is like you could be forgiven for like th- assuming that the pandemic was fucking over or something. Whereas like if you you, uh, whereas then my, my point is, I guess, yes, we've had this, we've very clearly had this dialectic for a long time of like, okay, there's like a tiny sliver of like, maybe, maybe some hope, like maybe it's going, maybe cases are going down just like a little bit marginal by degrees or something like that. Maybe certain things are different. Maybe, you know, this happens like this includes major events like whenever there's a new tier of vaccine approval or booster approval or whatever, Mm -hmm. right. There's some like, like sprint of confidence or, or something like that. And that leads to other mitigation measures in addition to like, you know, outside of, and on top of, um, use of vaccines being dropped to the side, dismissed, publicly ridiculed as in, as in much of the public conversation, you know, happening now Mm -hmm. and publicly discussed about like, basically, you know, whether, Again, it's sort of what I'm saying is as despite the fact that clearly by every indicator we're looking towards a very dark winter, like the conversation is happening of like, okay, so like January, we're done with masks, right? Like that's it. (laughs) Right. You know, and so that's and so what I'm concerned with is that maybe even that like that, you know, that dialectic gets even worse, basically, if broadly speaking, there is not, you know, 
social, political, or cultural attention to the fact that these things are still ongoing. Right. No. And and I think the thing that's frustrating too is that the the way that this position of, you know, it's it's time to be over and done and return to normality is being fleshed out is such an echo chamber, right? If you look, uh, for example, at the David Leonhardt piece that we talked about, um, he's citing all the other people who have come out with op-eds about the off-ramp issue in the past two weeks. And all of these people all cite each other and are creating this idea that there is real demand for this. Yeah, which, they're establishing consensus. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's it's the real-time manufacturing of consent, right? And what, what we're seeing also is the... You know, the continued and more extreme devaluation, I think, of vulnerable life in the process, right? Because it's it's not just the off-ramp conversation, because the off-ramp conversation itself is a conversation about accepting the death. Well, let me can I can I make a sociological argument? Like, I, I, can I try to be David Leonhardt for a second? <laughs> sure. Like if I if I were because ultimately, like there's this sort of functional thing that he's trying to do, which is like you know, in, interpret this, this, this like public health event sociologically, but I have a different interpretation, which is, I actually don't think that there's quote unquote demand for returning to normal in the way that he's thinking about it. And I, and I also think that it's just like, even if there were, it's like, you know, malpractice of any of the people that he's like citing in this thing to say, like, there's nothing we can, the only tool that we have is vaccine because this is the way that it gets described in Germany. Anywhere else it's like, wow, you know, Germany seemed to be able to control COVID really effectively. And, and now they they don't seem to be able to do it. And it's like, yeah, because you've taken one set of strategies completely off the table because the economy needs to apparently thrive. Right. But like, here's my sociological thing is I do think that people are feeling very fatalistic about things. I think that people are uh, fatalistic about, uh, you know, people don't like wearing masks in classrooms, right? And they don't necessarily like uh, the, the prospect of like additional restrictions and whatever, although those things don't seem to be in the offing. So I don't really know what the point of talking about that is. But they also, I think, are frankly they've been confronted with the spectacle of like mass death that has essentially been swept under the rug and they've been told that there's nothing essentially that we can do about it. And so they're, they're the, I think quite natural response as you know, given that like a lot of public health people have essentially abandoned their uh, uh, like abandon any sort of ethical principles or commitments they had and are just mm-hmm. are rearticulating in order to gain access and influence in politics they're just rearticulating these lines that have no basis in like what a precautionary approach to public health would include. Um, so in, in the spectacle and in, in like the face of all of that, it's 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 like people are I, I think that there's a sense of like people giving up, not a sense of people like demanding and return to anything or normalcy, but just like a sense of uh, not necessarily knowing what to do. And it certainly doesn't seem like government is like making credible commitments to people's lives. It certainly doesn't seem like. Uh, in the face of all of this, there's like a huge attempt to like, you know, turn on a dime and do something else. And like, I don't know, it's, you know, take your pick. Anything from being way more aggressive with, you know, trying to push out vaccines, like, I don't know, doing something like, um, 
you know, a, a, a far more aggressive like campaign door to door, who knows, whatever, anywhere from that to a lockdown with some sort of social protections built in all of the social protections like have largely like gone away. And, and in social policy terms, like, you know, COVID often like doesn't seem to exist. So like in, in, in the space of all of that, yeah, there is, I think, a little bit of like fatalism. But then the response to that there is to like just. For for Leonhard is like let's just double down on this. lean in yeah no yeah, let's is, just completely lean in and this, this is I'm glad you bring this up because this is to me this is a I think a really good way to actually get into what some of these arguments specifically are and what they're kind of actually going for because over and over again and I pulled some specific examples so I want to go through a couple of them but like over and over again so much of the conversation about like we need to talk about off ramps when is the off ramp et cetera et cetera like how is how do we get how do we, you know, when when exactly do we accept removing masks, um, having like full capacity offices, et cetera? Uh, you know, I think in the past we've accurately talked about that as being it's certainly in part a question of like, OK, but when is this over for me? Right. But right. on the other. But like in addition to that, I think very importantly, maybe something that we've you know talked about slightly less is that it is. It is a conversation in part about giving up, but about saying sort of, you know, I've kind of given up on the idea of being able to do anything about this. You should, too. And the reason to do that is because in giving up, you sort of like can claim some certainty back into your life. And here's I want to explain what I mean by this. So here's I think. So we had talked we had talked on the show about um, that J.G. Allen uh, Washington Post op-ed a couple of weeks ago, as, as uh, I, I mentioned earlier, and as B um, reiterated. So you know we're not we don't need to go back into to that too much, but that's you know a, that's indicative of the form that we're talking about. I was talking about like you know when exactly now that uh, vaccines are going to be rolled out for five to eleven year olds, like when exactly do we talk about like removing mask mandates in schools? This was followed very quickly by um, a piece that we haven't had a chance to talk about on the show which is good actually because like now there's now there's like they have proliferated they're all over the place it's become actually so many of the things that we said were probably going to happen have basically happened but so one of the pieces we haven't talked about was a new york times piece from uh, jessica gross called we need to talk about an off-ramp for masking at school um that is the that was the headline and i want to flag a key part of this that i'm just going to read Uh, She sets up, first of all, very clearly that like one of her motivations, actually citing Monica Gandhi, of all people, who is another person who wrote a horrible op ed that I'm going to read from uh, later in the episode, I'm sure. But uh, citing Monica Gandhi says that the the idea is that if you have an off ramp to your mask mandate, that maybe that'll sort of, in her words, uh, quote, maybe the carrot of mask free schools will inspire some more hesitant families to get their children vaccinated their children vaccinated so it's yeah again this you know carrot and stick um metaphor it's this incentivize you know nudge philosophy right of like Mm -hmm. um if we say like if you do this then you'll then we can remove the mask mandate right then it'll somehow be an incentive to parents to get their kids vaccinated obviously with no forethought at all i guess these people have never played like chess or like any fucking strategy game that (laughs) even like warcraft 3 you have to think like three steps ahead of your opponent or whatever right but like anyway so she says under a subhead that says the need for some measure of certainty uh again this is new york times jessica gross quote whatever individual communities and states decide about what makes sense for them Part of the reason it's necessary to talk about concrete benchmarks for unmasking is because the pandemic has created, for some, deep, 
uncertainty. As the American Psychological Association reports, its new survey finds that, quote, decision-making fatigue is having a disproportionate impact on parents, unquote. Almost half of parents reported that sometimes they are so stressed about the coronavirus pandemic that they struggle to make basic decisions, ergo what to wear, what to eat, compared to just yeah. 24% of non-parents who feel this stressed. Moving the conversation okay. Seems reasonable. on masking at school forward, no matter how complicated it is, it is may give these stressed parents hope for a more no. certain future. No, sorry. No, 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 no. How about like changing any social policy in a way that would be pro parent? Exactly. How Absolutely about not. like extending leave no. uh, or, you know, paid nope. leave or force them to school um, masks off. I mean, this, this is the thing is like, like, okay, I'll give you one example. Like Milwaukee, we're having a, an issue with like a, a, like bus driver shortage. Okay. So like rather than like really being able to ramp up any alternative, like modes of transportation to school or, you know, really thinking about how like content is being delivered, like the strategy that has emerged is like, well, you know, maybe we could like comp parents like gas mileage. It's like, that's not the problem. Parents can't take off work uh, to like take their kids. To school. Like that's, uh, it is not about the mileage. Right. It, you know, it's like the, so like, okay, fine. If we leave every, this has been my, my issue from the beginning. Like if we leave every other social policy constant, yeah, trying to actually deal with the pandemic is going to be shitty for right. people and people are going to feel like no one cares about them. And that the only way that they can have control is to bear down, like, you know, narrow their eyes and just, uh, you know, go on with things. And if something bad happens, that's a tragedy, but there's no other alternative. Like, of course, that's going to be the way that people think about. Right. But uh, the idea the idea somehow that like if we solve them, do we deal with like the masking issue? That's like the magic bullet here is uh, so fucking insane. Well, and this is but this is exactly the thing. It's like so one can just say it's a confusing time. Right. But like it's not a confusing time because like, Oh, the, there are mask mandates or whatever, like to say, Oh, COVID is a confusing time is to basically evaluate the entire pandemic response and the entire, everything that has been done, you know, about or relating to the pandemic completely uncritically. Right. It's like, this is not, you know, the, the people, this is why I'm, you know, I, I almost feel bad for these like, you know, mm -hmm. fucking people who are writing these op-eds because it's like, first of all, you're clearly so lost in this that you've lost, you, you have lost the plot. Like one of these fucking articles that I'll read from, I think I'll read from is called like America has lost the plot on COVID. Like, no, these fucking people have lost the plot on right. COVID because like you can't look at this and th it does not make any sense to look at this as anything other than, yeah, exactly for what you're, what you're saying, like massive policy failure all of these things and to say like oh we're going to get some certainty back into our lives by saying uh this is the date at which we'll remove mask mandates not thinking about like what is obviously going to happen in reaction to that just epidemiologically right is basically like saying okay so to get some measure of self-control over this punishment that has been like put upon me i'm going to like fucking whip myself i'm going to do like some degree of self-harm or something because that i can have control over right i mean this this whole sort of like idea that the most pressing psychic issue right now is not bearing witness to mass death and being told not to care about it 
which is, in my opinion, more upsetting than being uncertain. But that's I'm biased and that's just my opinion. But, you know, it's like the, the idea that like, you know, that watching all the death is not nearly as important as the uncertainty about a return to normality is just um i mean it's it's classic right it's but you can't but you can't watch the death you can't watch it there's no way to watch it there's no way to how can you bear witness to it i mean that that's i mean my point here is that witness to it because it's like happening to their like family members and their co-workers and the people in their lives but not monica gandhi right and not these other people that's right right. but 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 this is the point. The point is like bearing witness to mass death as an abstraction is essentially most. I mean, a I mean, lot of people I know, like 30 to 50 people in their lives have died. Like that is bearing literal witness to mass death. Yes. Like I have friends in the Bronx who have lost their entire family. My point, though, is like that is, a, you know, it, that is an astounding sort of fact. But even if that's not the thing that is like foremost on your mind um, and it is like creating I don't know, psychic trauma. There are all all manner of other things that like somehow I I don't think like the idea of like relaxing these like restrictions or like somehow just like going like hitting the mass death button and hitting like the mass illness button further. I I don't see how that, uh, you know, deals with any of those things. Like even if I mean, it it certainly doesn't um, uh, it certainly doesn't like make it easier to do things that are going to be harder uh, just generally speaking, because, OK, fine, you know, your school like here, here's the situation, like your school uh, relaxes the, the like the masking restrictions. OK, then the next week, then you have like an outbreak in school and then you ha- like then there's a, a huge issue. Like I, I just this idea that the, these these like re- the, the relaxation and like the off ramp is this like magic bullet to anything is insane. Right. That is absolutely not at all the real issue, right? The real issue is the obsession with the return to normality, which has always been a theme here. And what we're striving towards right now is a very limited perspective of what both like disease is and like what disease in society even means. And that's, that's part of the problem here is that what we see with COVID is that over and over people have been trying to force this sort of cyclicality onto COVID, trying to like bracket it and bookend it and end it and, and give it some sort of lock in temporality because the idea that we could possibly have to live with this disease has always been not just the disease itself. Like that's never really been the problem. It's like coexisting with the public health restrictions, right? That idea has been so antithetical to what our idea as a culture of what normal is because for, you know, for like decades, the United States is about productivity. It's about hard work. It's about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps going to Weight Watchers, like going to the gym, being an entrepreneur, like all this sort of like, you know, freedom ideology, like does not fit with like wearing a mask and caring if your neighbor lives or dies. And so like you have like literally just the clash of like what is what people want out of health and like what public health needs to do for us to survive. And, you know, the concept of health itself, that this normal, healthy society we're trying to return to is like a sick, abject 
failure, right? And and yet it's like being um, touted as this idea, this ideal, right? Like the ideal they're pushing towards is for us to like give up on COVID, basically. Which makes sense. I mean, it makes sense if you don't have another ideal of a good society. Right. Doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, that that's like, you know, in the, the background condition that's looming here for me is that like the if you this has been Democrats problem from the beginning is that they've always been trying to manage this in the narrowest way possible as if, you know, the, this is just sort of a technical problem to be solved in with the least um you know, in a, in a sense, with the least changeful means. And it's, you know, I think very, it should be very clear now, um, you know, and like, if, uh, you know, if we had like essayists that were, you know, good, maybe they could write this up. Uh, but it's like, it's very clear now that like, you you can keep like futzing around with, uh, you know, a couple small variables, you're still going to get the same outcomes. And it's not really until you shift the idea of like exactly what, public health would mean uh and and like all that that would entail for the the role of the state in society um that you would get actually uh changes in the variable because if you look at other countries where you're seeing surges in cases the the convergent factor is that they too at some point abandoned that idea of a good society and they have gone with ours and that is why cases are surging again. Right. And I mean, people keep throwing up their hands like, oh, there's no uh, epidemiological model that could have predicted the, the fact that this is continuing. Like, it's so strange. All of our models said it would be gone or like we all thought that it would, you know, cases would go down in the summer and we don't know why. And it's like, no bullshit. Like there have been studies over and over again, particularly looking at the spread of measles in the UK that come up with spatial models of respiratory disease spread that demonstrate that like some of the things that we try and do to predict how a disease is going to work are, you know, not actually relative to how the disease works in the population, right? We sort of force this seasonality model on it. We force the idea that there's age stratification, but these are, these are constructs, right? These are ideas about how to best predict how a disease is going to behave. It's not like actual documentation of how the disease behaves. And that's what keeps happening is like we, you know, we get these predictions that are based on flawed models that are trying to force this sort of, you know, um, cyclicality on COVID that's trying to put these bookends on it so that it can be over, right? Because that's just that's what everyone's like straining and striving towards. And like the bookend doesn't fit because disease doesn't actually work like that. And this has been a problem of medicine over and over for the entire history of medicine, which is that we try and force like a kind of cyclical encounter onto something that is an ongoing process. And it just does not work very well, but we do it because the encounter favors the ability to bill for the healthcare services and to create the economy of the maintenance of the body. And so that has been prioritized as our model of managing disease when it has like very little relation to like how the body even actually experiences disease. I mean, just think about the way that we run like paid time off, right? Or like sick days, right? Like the idea that you could have like an itemized amount of days for an illness, like that's absolutely absurd. Yeah, no, no. It's it's actually it's very reminiscent of, of this idea that like the, you know, um, 
So I was thinking about this because Pennsylvania, like the high court, uh, recently just struck down, uh, was the school mask mandate. Is that right? And the, like the, the governor's just like, well, we were going to, we were planning on eliminating this like in January of 2021 or 2022. And I was like, yeah, okay. That makes sense. Just like forcing this to some pre preset timeline that I guess we know how diseases work and they work on this clock that we've like set within government. This is what we're, but this is exactly what we're talking about because the, this like media construction or this like total preoccupation of a bunch of people in the, in the media, like being, being the question of when exactly and how do we establish off ramps creates situations uh, like the one that you're referencing where, yeah, like just this uh, past week, um, the governor of Pennsylvania announced that January 17th, they were going to roll back uh, the statewide school mask mandate, which they only put in place in like the beginning of the fall, like in the late in like late August or early September or something like that. Just to just to be clear, it's not like that was some this, some panacea before, but like they, uh, you know, they announced like and this is in literally in the you know week, two weeks following these this like raft of opinion pieces um, talking about here is how we need to like enact these measures as I've been talking about, like of establishing certainty in terms of school, you know, it, 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 it is like a self-reinforcing function. Right. And what you do have is, you know, to the, to the example of what you were talking about much earlier, Phil, with like public health people is like, I think one of the things that does happen, you see this over and over again, even the people who are, um, you know, like stat news ran, uh, a thing that was like about, um, you know, we asked, we asked so many, we, we asked this many public health people, um, and doctors and stuff like what, what their personal plans for the holidays were because the, you know, the, because the personal plans <laughs> of experts or whatever correspond exactly to what, you know, should ultimately be like public, uh, public advice. It doesn't matter if you feel uncomfortable, the expert says that you need to stop. Yeah. It turns out 12 out of 24 of them were saying that they're going to travel internationally for One the holidays. One in four but anyway, dentists says. But, 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 the, but my, my point in bringing this up is that like you see there and I think in a lot of other you know places, even the, the people who are, yes, they're just mu- much like most, you know, um, media coverage of this. There's always, you know, the Craven ghouls or whatever, the Monica Gandhis, et cetera, mm-hmm. and all these other people who are like, yeah, basically, you know. Um, yeah, I'm going to go here, do this with like, I'm going to do this and that without a mask. It doesn't really matter. Like we're going to be, there are literally, literally quotes in this that are something like, you know, it's, uh, everyone's going to get it anyway. So et cetera, et cetera, whatever. But even the people who are kind of the most, what, what you see, I think even from the people who are like the most cautious about it and who would, and have even said in, uh, prior points of the pandemic, things like, you know, we do need a paid shutdown you see them it's either self-moderating or they themselves have given up because it's like they have to they're made to sort of accept this there is this there is this sort of like construct now of you know this is about like you know it's not going to get better right and that's but that's that is part of the problem because that is part of how it's just part of how this perpetuates because then you just get a you know, you just get a situation where meaningfully something like um, stat or whatever can say like Oh yeah, and so even this person who uh, who's taking things really seriously, they're only doing so because case numbers are high locally for them, <laughs> uh, or you know this person who's taking it seriously, um, you know they're they're uh, even they are basically saying like, well, 
if I uh, if I can't do this now, I guess I probably can't ever do it again. So because like clearly like, you know what I mean? That That's like the kind of resi- right. that's like resignation. Right. It's like it was like Matt. I just want to call us back to the idea in Matt Iglesias's uh, Substack post that we talked about in the episode from the 22nd that I was like we were mentioning at the top where he goes, you know, the real question is like, what should be normal forever? Yeah. And if it's not normal forever, then we shouldn't be doing it right now. Which actually is a perfect um which actually is a perfect segue to us. One of the uh, things I want to read from, which is um, so very quickly, you know, not not to give the false impression that this has stayed about ending mask mandates in schools. Very quickly, this has become a conversation. The off ramps conversation has turned to all manner of other things. And right. one, I think, very indicative turn is a piece uh, in The Atlantic by Ross Barkin. Um, which was titled, Why Aren't We Even Talking About Easing COVID Restrictions? Um, The subheader is, yes, it's too soon to lift restrictions, but it's odd that there are no clear benchmarks for getting there. Ross. I want to read a couple things from this. Yes, please. um, Because it's absurd. Quote, Though coronavirus cases are on the decline in most of America, following a still somewhat mysterious two-month surge, <laughs> I don't know what that means, nothing mysterious about it. Um, everybody is, everybody's asking, who did it? We have no idea. Where did these cases come from? Uh, most public health experts are reluctant to ascribe any kind of metric that could determine when vaccine mandates would be phased out. And so this gets to the heart of it. This is taking the off-ramps conversation and it is now pushed to, it has, you know, it sped past the off-ramp that is the (laughs) vaccine mandates for, you know, schools and it has sped towards like, when do I no longer have to show my vaccine card? It's just driven through the window of the Arby's. No, when am I done? We've never, this is, the the nature of this conversation is, is just so baffling because we've never it, the problem is actually specifically with the reverse beginning in roughly may we've 2020 always had off ramps and never <laughs> we adopted yeah. we right there were never there was never a point at which you could get from the access road back onto the highway because there were no clear <laughs> metrics for that and and i've i've looked at this in all 50 states and the 50 largest cities in the country and there are very few, almost none that ever said yes. And when we have a resurgence of cases, when it looks like this, we will return to what we did at the beginning of the pandemic. Never happened. Right. So the issue is that we never we never had clear metrics for anything because at the end of the day, we were not very interested. I think it's possible to say in like controlling this. We were interested yeah. <laughs> in managing in stage management and dramaturgy. That's very important. But we were really not very interested in managing this as if it were a public health event that was nonlinear. Uh, we, we just assumed linearity from the beginning. And that is what landed us where we are. But but yeah. please do go off about um, yeah. the yeah, not having. <laughs> so okay. uh, so uh, Ross, uh, Ross Barkin continues. He continues. He starts talking about the presence of vaccine mandates in uh, cities like New York and the lack of um, the the fact that, for instance, you know, New York City does not have a timetable for like when there's no longer going to be a vaccine mandate required, which I think is 
I don't know, just off the cuff, extremely reasonable considering that if that's, I mean, you know, if that whatever, whatever precautions or, or, you know, policies that you have in, in place, I don't see why at this stage of the pandemic, you would say like, oh yeah, we, you know, we have a clear timeline for when this exactly is going to go away because simply we just haven't gotten to the, you know, what we yeah. need, we need an off ramp, um, to return to a new normal when we no longer impose polio vaccines on people. We just can't. I can't live in a world where we force people to get polio vaccines. We need an off ramp on polio. So Ross says, quote, the New York City Health Department admitted that it had no timeline or data to point to that would determine when vaccine mandates for indoor activities would be lifted. Admitted like it's a gotcha. Yeah, it's reasonable to ask as 2021 draws to a close. When will that be? No, it's not reasonable. In previous phases of the pandemic, public health officials, politicians and even members of the media seem to have little will to explain to millions of people what normalcy might look like. I would argue that this entire, you know, fucking sound and fury that we're talking about today actually uh, is completely contrary to that point. There are a lot of people very curious about what normal looks like it's because they want to get there as soon as possible all we've been for talking them personally. About this but, whole time. Um, but Ross continues, this is understandable for the time being. In the past, localities have relaxed various shutdowns and mandates only to encounter a new wave of the coronavirus. No one wants to take another gamble and, <laughs> and lose. Yet all pandemics end. Oh, boy. Tell that to the hundreds of thousands of people who died of AIDS last year. Yet all pandemics end. Viruses lose their potency and society reorders itself. Okay, okay, okay. Viruses lose their potency. I mean, to to argue that the virus is losing potency or that all viruses lose potency betrays a fundamental misunderstanding of how viruses even work i think this should honestly be uh you know what disqualifies barkin from being able to further comment on the pandemic he gets a yellow card another yellow (laughs) card and then a red card just for that one sentence and you know what like three strikes buddy you've got to sit down for six months and sit on your hands i'm sorry i I think that i mean just that i mean Whatever that that one thing is also clearly <laughs> making us forget already the quote unquote following a still somewhat mysterious two month surge. I mean, right. come on. Anyway, right. So, but this is the this oh, is what it's I'm, all a mystery now, <laughs> right? But this is what I'm saying. No, it is all a mystery to these it's people. Like Freddie from Scooby Doo. No, but this, this is what this is what I mean. Where it's important. Where all this everyone having this conversation is just a fucking rube <laughs> because I get it. They don't understand. And it's fine. But then they're they are repeating this and they become a sounding board against each other. And it's just like the worst, like fucking dumbest cranks, you know, like say repeating what each other are saying. And then this be, and then like it beats down anything that resembles reality. Right. Basically. And but do you think, so can I can I like just poke at that, though, for a second? Because I, I want to understand what's going on here. And like. I think part of it is that's there's a there's a knee-jerk impulse like within this like set of people to to like make these sort of suppositions but i i have to imagine that you know part of it is also the cues that they're taking from the field of people who have made themselves into the experts on this pandemic absolutely it's like it's it would not and from the white so house like, itself frankly we're but. right exactly so like hypothetically okay imagine that you have a public health profession that is somehow or you know somehow has authority or capacity right in the United <laughs> States, which is you know you know a uh, a real fantasy but then imagine that in addition to that 
they they take this pandemic as an opportunity to realize that there's actually much more to public health than what we typically like put in that box that like public health is in fact also about social policy and also about economic policy and it like that it extends and that like you have you know even if the white house isn't you know on this tip that like you have a very like defiant and unified like sector of people that are the perceptual screen uh, by which the the pandemic is like interpreted. I'm not sure that the media like, I don't know, goes this way. But what you have is a bunch of different self-styled experts, many of whom have, I think, bona fides that are not. I mean, they don't not not all of them are cranks like Monica Gandhi. Right. Right. She's like a particular crank. And like she's writing about how, you know, it doesn't really matter that there was like an outbreak at like the, uh, you know, on the 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 Cal Berkeley like football team. They're like, you know, the show must go on or, you know, just yeah, like we'll, we'll get to her next. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but ahead. like but but my point is like we we talk about her because whatever she's she's like a like particularly ludicrous. But I think a lot of these people have a sheen of respectability. Yeah. And they seem, you know, um, less uh, crank, crankified. Um, and they're quotable. They're quotable. They produce reasonable sounding quotes. And that is, I think, you know, I, I guess my point is I often see people whose writing I really respect and think are sharp analysts about a lot of issues. Then when I see them writing about COVID, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. And then I see how they've sourced <laughs> their piece. And I'm like, oh, I see the people who are the most loquacious uh, experts are just like really, I mean, you know, the most generous thing you could say about them is that they think incredibly narrowly about what public health is and it, and it goes downhill from there. Yeah. Uh, but Right. And that, all that is the kind of stuff that like it, this is the stuff that happens when you view COVID totally abstractly. Right. Um, or as this like sort of abstract as you're as you're saying you know phil like when you do actually view this uh when you do view the mass death as just a totally abstract social phenomenon as opposed to even if you can like not view it directly but imagine covid as a that mass death as actually happening mm-hmm. to people which as you know as b was saying which it absolutely does and it is not abstract for mo- for a lot of people but if you do view it abstractly, you can see how you can get, you know, pieces sourced like this. You can see how you could find people like just thinking like, where can I find the people who are most loquacious or like expound on this and who are not just like totally pilloried, um, like the few people who, as I mentioned, are, you know, many, many of the public health experts on this who have been good on this during the pandemic have been consistently beaten down, um, over it. But like, ultimately it's like, okay, a piece like this, that the, this is what frustrates me with like something like doing an off ramps piece for like, when do we say we don't need vaccine mandates anymore? Not only is that fundamentally just showing off your privileged position. Um, the thing that the, um, that this like Ross Barkin op-ed makes me think about is just that it's almost like, and not just him, but you know, this, this is like the type of person who makes these arguments. The thing that they're concerned about now is this, uh, you know, they're worried about like the Agamben state of exception shit regarding like vaccine passports. In other words, like it's got like the Glenn Greenwald bug, just like a really mild case of it. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just thinking like, okay, well now that, now that like the vac, now that, uh, we have the vaccines and the, the pandemic is, you know, quote unquote managed to some degree, even though it's very clearly not now the thing to worry about is like personal liberty, my personal liberty and my right to like not care right. about the pandemic. So this all brings us to Monica Gandhi's particular version uh, yes. of this. Obviously, as we've talked about, she's been beating this drum for a while, but I think she really incorporated the uh, we need to talk about off ramps uh, form into this recent piece for uh, The Atlantic, which is called, quote, it's time to contemplate the end of the crisis. And I want to position this. This is really important because the two things that I've uh, talked about just before are, you know, we had the piece from the New York Times, which is specifically about um, ending mask mandates for uh, for schools specifically. Um, then we had the Ross Barkin, which was talking about, uh, you know, when we no longer have to rely on vaccine, mm-hmm. man- uh, when we no longer have to have vaccine mandates. And I think that uh, this Monica Gandhi thing really goes full circle a little bit because she takes that a little further <laughs> to basically, OK, we've seen, you know, the the table has been set for this argument to fall, which is now that, you know, not only do we have mass vaccine rollout among adults, although uptake is not great so far, we also have the approval of the vaccines for, you know, five to 11 year olds. That's going to start being rolled out and we can have kind of like a rosy imagination about what that might mean. And because I've accepted the full, you know, vaccine only strategy without any other like layering uh, non-pharmaceutical interventions or anything like that, not really worrying about that Mm -hmm. because I've accepted that strategy. Now is the time to go full bore and say, let's get back to normal. And I want to I want to read directly from this because I am not exaggerating when I say that that is her argument. Quote, Americans. And again, this is in the Atlantic. Monica Gandhi. It's time to contemplate the end of the crisis. Thank God for the Atlantic. What would we do without that? Yeah. Um, (laughs) As as I've said on an episode before, you know, much is made of the misinformation and bullshit shared about like, I don't know, horse pills and whatever. And. Not a lot is made about the horrible things that The Atlantic has published over the course Mm -hmm. of the pandemic, including people like Emily Oster. So anyway, Monica Gandhi, quote, Americans should be asking ourselves what else needs to happen before we can declare an end to the crisis phase of the pandemic. She went on to say, because I tried to do that with a little uh, like ribbon cutting ceremony and it didn't work. So I'm really wondering how it can go better the second time. No listen, one listen. came to my end of the pandemic she, party. She tried manifesting. Then she made a vision board. Then she bought a witch's candle that she burned <laughs> that she heard when she burned it. She was told like by the end, we would be at normal and it still hasn't happened yet. She did a seance. She tried to, you know, raise it from the dead however she could. And she's run out of options except for now, you know, writing an incantation in the Atlantic. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Continuing, although the coronavirus's course remains unpredictable and bad surprises are still possible, the Delta variant surge that started in early July ushered in what may have been the final major wave of disease in the United States. Big claim. Yeah. I'm big claim. I'm sure she won't retract that when she's proven wrong. Yeah. Just like all the other times. Yes. Yeah. So a little bit further down, quote, 
By now, Americans should realize that there isn't a magic solution that will make COVID go away. Many restrictions, such as indoor <laughs> mask mandates. No, there's a point. magic solution that, that will make like, us all tolerant and deal with it. It's like acknowledging that point <laughs> yeah. creates some sort of shield, and now you're no longer able to use that argument against her. Like this is like the Catherine Page Harden approach to like you know making a intellectual argument. Yeah. Many restrictions, such as indoor mask mandates, remain in place to protect the vulnerable and unvaccinated. But don't we states, really need that anymore? Right. In states following updated CDC COVID prevention guidance. But within two or three months of introducing <laughs> vaccines for 5 to 11-year-olds, the U.S. should be able to begin winding down most of the formal and informal limits to which Americans have become accustomed Office closures, masking mandates, educational interruptions, six-foot distancing, and more. I mean, which, but which have all certainly been in place throughout, you know, all of this time. Also, yep. like the literal plan of San Francisco is that they have something that's triggered. Like either we reach eighty percent vaccination across all age groups, or it's eight weeks past vaccines are available for five to eleven year olds. <laughs> we can drop certain like masking requirements for indoor public places where the federal masking or state masking requirements don't apply. Again, though, just most important. Importantly, this is what we're doing already. No, but this is this is my point that the the stuff, all the stuff that we said when we talked about the JG Allen op-ed about like off ramps and stuff, most of that stuff has pretty much happened and has like this the echo chamber has produced, and we've gotten like not only all of these things that we've talked about before in the rest of the episode, but we have gotten this very literally, it has reached its natural conclusion, which is oh, vaccines five to eleven year olds. Great. Pandemic's over. We don't need to do anything about it. Our our my need as an individual, your need as an individual, just to like make sure that you can feel like, you know, I want to make sure that you know that you're good and you don't need to worry about the pandemic after a couple months after uh, like you no longer need to worry about the pandemic as of a couple months after the vaccines for five to 11 year olds are rolled out. No, obviously, you know, no contention or or understanding or you know of like the obvious fact that if for example we did something like uh as in the case of what uh in actually that new york times op-ed monica gandhi suggested to the times uh, the person writing for the times which is you know after like eight weeks after um rollout begins for five to 11 year olds Mm -hmm. for the vaccine that we drop mask mandates in schools you you know no mention that very obviously as we've seen not only in in the united states but in cases uh like all of these op-eds basically almost all of them have mentioned cases like denmark Mm -hmm. for example where they dropped the mask mandate after they hit a certain threshold of vaccination and now they are like in the grip of more cases like a ton like and they're they're reconsidering like re-implementing it a story as of three hours ago I think they're going to meet like today or tomorrow to try and make a decision on that. But so this is the natural conclusion. It is even though all of that stuff is going to happen, even though just like we've seen time and time again, people say like, oh, cases are going down or we've got this new mitigation, you know, measure to put in place. Therefore, we can like relax things. That relaxing of things turns into like more cases. It's just, you know, it's it's a very obvious cycle that we're locked in. And, uh, and you know, this is, but this is the push. It's like, here right. we go. Here we are. No matter what you see, like you're, don't let your eyes fool you. It's right. not a problem. Right. Basically is what's going on here. So, eyes on the prize. 
eyes on normality. Well, just saying like what you're seeing in front of you or what you may be experiencing is like actually not a problem. It's fine. Right. And she, everyone who thinks otherwise is addicted to fear. And she yeah. and she um and quite literally but and again, I'm not I'm not being facetious quite literally. So she continues, quote, COVID-19 is still causing more than a thousand deaths a day in the United States. By comparison, influenza causes about 100 deaths a day on average, and most experts will feel uncomfortable declaring the coronavirus emergency phase over until COVID deaths settle down to a similar level, which is the line we talked about before. It's bullshit because a lot of people still die from the flu, and that's like a horrible thing to to wish to double those deaths every year. It's also like a uh, absurd thing to discuss when you're at a thousand deaths a day. Yeah. Um, yet infection, hospitalization, and death rates have begun to shrink since the peak of the Delta surge. And it's not premature to begin planning for an end to the crisis phase. It's, it's not premature. That's a bold <laughs> I promise. claim. Yeah. It's, it's not that it's early. It's not not early. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To shop for I had a, the I had a joke to make about that, but I'm going to hold back. <laughs> <laughs> Monica Gandhi continues, quote, once the emergency is over, Americans can focus on rebuilding their lives and think more clearly about how to accelerate COVID-19 vaccination abroad, a moral imperative that would also do far more than masks or booster shots for healthy vaccinated U.S. adults would do to end the global pandemic. If you so, were serious about that, you would then say something next about, you know, needing to disrupt the pharma IP regime. But no, that's not really no, her she doesn't vibe. Care about yeah, that. No, she doesn't she's talking about like we need to we need to accelerate charitable giving. We basically. need Bill Gates to give like three more TED Talks a year than he's giving because yeah. he has so much to teach us and so little opportunity to influence the shape of the world. Yeah. So I'll, anyway, I'll spare you the rest of uh, that, you know, trash but basically Thank you know you. that's that's the, that's the argument you know again not not overstating anything here it's just this event is happening regardless of the fact that you know the versions of this have played out over and over and over again over the course over the course of the pandemic and despite the fact that we are two weeks out from the beginning of the of a, like a huge holiday season in earnest you know american thanksgiving is like right around the corner um, and we all know what happened last year. Um, no, we're just going to like self-soothe and assume that like, yeah. it's fine. It's all good. I no longer have to worry about it. Yeah. Those numbers are high. Yeah. A thousand deaths a day is like a lot, but you know, it's not you. So yeah, no. And, and you know, the thing too, is that, uh, <sighs> Like, I think any, any person who claims that they, you know, have any real idea of what pattern we're going to see next, of where it's going to go, or like how many, you know, fewer cases we're going to have, that person is just talking out of their ass. That should be a clue like that, that everything else around that is bullshit, right? But, and, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that the way that we talk about like who dies from this too is so much a part of the conversation because it's, you know, the way that this is justified is by, you know, saying it's deaths pulled from the future. It's the old and the the pre-dead, the sick, the disabled people, the medically vulnerable. And, and, you know, it's definitely not children, but ultimately like so many more kids have died in the past three months than died in the first, you know, 15 months of the pandemic. And like fundamentally, like it, it is not just old people who are dying. And that should also obviously just if it were only old and vulnerable people dying, like that shouldn't be a reason be a that it's okay. Yeah. But like, right. It's if you look at the breakdown of deaths on the CDC website, for example, like 
there have been, you know, between the ages of 18 and 29, there have been over 4,000 deaths. And and between yeah. the ages of 30 and 39, there have been over 10,000 deaths. So it's like the the picture of like, oh, it's only vulnerable people. It's only old people. You know, this has always been used as this um, way to redirect attention. It's just one of the many blinders that's required to be maintained in order for, you know, the slow march back to normal to be able to proceed, you know, because ultimately like it is this, this situation is created, recreated and upheld through so many of these different like cultural nodes and social nodes where it's reproduced at the individual level. Right. And it's, you know, which I think does suggest the, um, the scale of the the problem, which is that I, I feel like this is a conversation aspects of this are, you know, a conversation that we've had several times before. The only thing that makes it different now is that in addition to like, I think maybe, you know, like maybe a year ago, these people were helping to, or this perspective was helping to like recreate the way that people understood the world. Now, in a way, it's sort of reflecting the way that people under, you know, uh, an increasing number of people understand the world. Yeah. I mean, I think that, a, maybe a good place to sort of close this out even is I guess my, you know, my main point in talking about this is, I mean, let's just take these, you know, like media establishment, either figures or, uh, or outlets for their word. We do need to talk about off ramps, frankly, not the ones that they're talking about, but like we need to, right. like, it is probably important to talk about like how to end the pandemic. Um, yes. which, very obviously, I mean, if you look at it, like since Biden took office, 325,000 people have died of COVID in the U.S., right? That is very obviously a sign that despite having vaccines, despite having, you know, other like other stuff, that this is still a problem that requires further intervention than what than just like pushing forward with not only whatever we're doing now, but pushing forward with like the absolute return to normal under any circumstances, just making sure that we have like a set date to like coddle ourselves with so that I know as like David Leonhardt or Monica Gandhi or whatever, that I no longer have to concern myself with this when people get upset with me. I mean, clearly many right. of those people who are the talking, who are like the talking heads on this are already there. Right. I mean, we saw like, um, we saw like Scott Gottlieb uh, say on TV the other day, like, oh, it's like the pandemics, but we're at we're at like end game of the pandemic. Right. <laughs> Clearly, these people are like there, but I'm winning. I'm winning. <laughs> right. <laughs> but like it's but it's, you know, regardless of what they want to like pursue with practically like motivated reasoning mm -hmm. towards like COVID is clearly not going away anytime fucking soon. Winter is going to be a bloodbath. Not to, I mean, not to bum anyone out, but like winter is going to be fucking horrible. And it would be a very good thing to have a conversation about off ramps in the form of how do we fucking end the pandemic actually once and for all. Right. And that is nowhere near being entertained right now. Instead, right. it's all this fucking how do I make it so that like the pandemic is over for my particular class of people or, or, Barring that just for no, me. No, 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 no. Yeah, no, it's it's about how how can we make the a, any sort of responsibility I have go away? Right. Like how do we just how do we just purge those responsibilities that I have and because I'm, 
you know, my, my level of risk is, you know, I perceive it to be lower and I'm whatever risk I have, I'm, I'm pretty tolerant of it. Like, you know, what, what, whatever can we do to like ensconce that into uh like law policy and custom yeah um i i I know i need to worry about disabled and immune compromised people a little bit in terms of my behavior but like how long do i have to worry i've already worried about them for like 18 months and that's like 18 more months than i was planning on worrying about them for so i'm like wondering where i can send the bill yeah like (laughs) you know it's like sad that they're gonna die but it's like not that sad and as long as I apologize to MDs in advance, then it's totally fine. I should probably read her apology because people won't know what I'm talking about. Uh, Monica Gandhi tweeted out on November 8th, 2021, apology and privilege as I get closer to the date of downgrading Twitter. I wanted to apologize. Date certain. I want to apologize <laughs> yeah, to my fellow MDs. Only to the fellow Only MDs. Only to my fellow MDs for anything I said on here that was too fast too chuggy too furious <laughs> not backed up by data or plain wrong um so i apologize to all mds for everything that i've said for the entire time i've been on twitter because i only joined twitter sorry for saying the pandemic. things that were plain wrong <laughs> and okay. i want to say what a privilege it has been to learn from everyone here by which she means it's been so great networking with everyone from the great barrington declaration i have learned so much i've failed a lot <laughs> and i've learned a lot and i'll probably fail more i get knocked write down more articles for the atlantic i get up again you're Listen. never gonna keep me down <laughs> <laughs> yes i have an idea we're not gonna like people don't get canceled anymore they just get um they get given a a date at which they will be downgraded they get sometime in the near future they get given a tenure track position at the University of Austin. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. At Austin. Yeah. At Austin. By Austin. The university near Austin. The university by <laughs> Austin. The sandals by the airport. The sand- yeah, I was going to say, the university by Visit Delaware. I think yeah, is. exactly. The university Got of to. the Home Depot next to the Olive Garden by the freeway. So, um, and I think that's a good place to leave it. We'll wrap here for today. Listeners, uh, if you want to support the show and get access to all of the weekly bonus episodes, the entire back catalog and every forthcoming episode on Tuesdays, become a patron at patreon.com slash death panel pod. Um, and if you want to help support the show a little bit more, share the show with your friends, post about your favorite episodes or follow us at death panel underscore. And uh, as always, Medicare for all now. Solidarity forever. Stay alive another week. <laughs>